Section six of White Knights and Other Stories by Fyodor Dostoevsky. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Notes from Underground by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Translated from the Russian by Constance Garnett. Author's Note The author of the diary and the diary itself are, of course, imaginary. Nevertheless, it is clear that such persons as the writer of these notes not only may, but positively must, exist in our society when we consider the circumstances in the midst of which our society is formed. I have tried to expose to the view of the public, more distinctly than is commonly done, one of the characters of the recent past. He is one of the representatives of a generation still living. In this fragment, entitled Underground, this person introduces himself and his views, and, as it were, tries to explain the causes owing to which he has made his appearance and was bound to make his appearance in our midst. In the second fragment there are added the actual notes of this person concerning certain events in his life. End Author's Note Part 1. Underground Chapter 1. I am a sick man. I am a spiteful man. I am an unattractive man. I believe my liver is diseased. However, I know nothing at all about my disease, and do not know for certain what ails me. I don't consult a doctor for it, and never have, though I have a respect for medicine and doctors. Besides, I am extremely superstitious. Sufficiently so to respect medicine, anyway. I am well educated enough not to be superstitious, but I am superstitious. No, I refuse to consult a doctor from spite. That you probably will not understand. Well, I understand it, though. Of course, I can't explain who it is precisely that I am mortifying, in this case, by my spite. I am perfectly well aware that I cannot pay out the doctors by not consulting them. I know better than anyone that by all this I am only injuring myself and no one else. But still, if I don't consult the doctor, it is from spite. My liver is bad. Well, let it get worse. I have been going on like that for a long time. Twenty years. Now I am forty. I used to be in the government service, but am no longer. I was a spiteful official. I was rude and took pleasure in being so. I did not take bribes, you see so I was bound to find a recompense in that, at least. A poor jest, but I will not scratch it out. I wrote it thinking it would sound very witty, but now that I have seen myself that I only wanted to show off in a despicable way, I will not scratch it out on purpose. When petitioners used to come for information to the table at which I sat, I used to grind my teeth at them, and felt intense enjoyment when I succeeded in making anybody unhappy. I almost always did succeed. For the most part, they were all timid people. Of course, they were petitioners. But of the uppish ones, there was one officer in particular I could not endure. He simply would not be humble, and clanked his sword in a disgusting way. I carried on a feud with him for eighteen months over that sword. At last I got the better of him. He left off clanking it. That happened in my youth, though. But do you know, gentlemen, what was the chief point about my spite? 
why the whole point the real sting of it lay in the fact that continually even in the moment of the acutest spleen i was inwardly conscious with shame that i was not only not a spiteful but not even an embittered man that i was simply scaring sparrows at random and amusing myself by it i might foam at the mouth but bring me a doll to play with give me a cup of tea with sugar in it and maybe i should be appeased i might even be genuinely touched though probably i should grind my teeth at myself afterwards and lie awake at night with shame for months after that was my way i was lying when i said just now that i was a spiteful official i was lying from spite i was simply amusing myself with the petitioners and with the officer and in reality i never could become spiteful i was conscious every moment in myself of many very many elements absolutely opposite to that i felt them positively swarming in me these opposite elements i knew that they had been swarming in me all my life and craving some outlet from me but i would not let them would not let them purposely would not let them come out they tormented me till i was ashamed they drove me to convulsions and sickened me at last how they sickened me now are not you fancying gentlemen that i am expressing remorse for something now that i am asking your forgiveness for something i am sure you are fancying that however i assure you i do not care if you are it was not only that i could not become spiteful i did not know how to become anything neither spiteful nor kind neither a rascal nor an honest man neither a hero nor an insect now i am living out my life in my corner taunting myself with the spiteful and useless consolation that an intelligent man cannot become anything seriously and it is only the fool who becomes anything yes a man in the nineteenth century must and morally ought to be preeminently a characterless creature a man of character an active man is preeminently a limited creature that is my conviction of forty years i am forty years old now and you know forty years is a whole lifetime you know it is extreme old age to live longer than forty years is bad manners is vulgar immoral who does live beyond forty answer that sincerely and honestly i will tell you who do fools and worthless fellows i tell all old men that to their face all these venerable old men all these silver-haired and reverend seniors i tell the whole world that to its face i have a right to say so for i shall go on living to sixty myself to seventy to eighty stay let me take breath you imagine no doubt gentlemen that i want to amuse you you are mistaken in that too i am by no means such a mirthful person as you imagine or as you may imagine however irritated by all this babble and i feel that you are irritated you think fit to ask me who i am then my answer is i am a collegiate assessor i was in the service that i might have something to eat and solely for that reason and when last year a distant relation left me six thousand roubles in his will i immediately retired from the service and settled down in my corner i used to live in this corner before 
but now i have settled down in it my room is a wretched horrid one in the outskirts of the town my servant is an old countrywoman ill-natured from stupidity and moreover there is always a nasty smell about her i am told that the petersburg climate is bad for me and that with my small means it is very expensive to live in petersburg i know all that better than all these sage and experienced counsellors and monitors but i am remaining in petersburg i am not going away from petersburg i am not going away because Ech! why it is absolutely no matter whether i am going away or not going away but what can a decent man speak of with most pleasure answer of himself well so i will talk about myself End of chapter 1chapter two i want now to tell you gentlemen whether you care to hear it or not why i could not even become an insect i tell you solemnly that i have many times tried to become an insect but i was not equal even to that i swear gentlemen that to be too conscious is an illness a real thorough-going illness for man's everyday needs it would have been quite enough to have the ordinary human consciousness that is half or a quarter of the amount which falls to the lot of a cultivated man of our unhappy nineteenth century especially one who has the fatal ill luck to inhabit petersburg the most theoretical and intentional town on the whole terrestrial globe there are intentional and unintentional towns it would have been quite enough for instance to have the consciousness by which all so-called direct persons and men of action live i bet you think i am writing all this from affectation to be witty at the expense of men of action and what is more that from ill-bred affectation i am clanking a sword like my officer but gentlemen whoever can pride himself on his diseases and even swagger over them though after all every one does do that people do pride themselves on their diseases and i do maybe more than any one we will not dispute it my contention was absurd but yet i am firmly persuaded that a great deal of consciousness every sort of consciousness in fact is a disease i stick to that let us leave that too for a minute tell me this why does it happen that at the very yes at the very moments when i am most capable of feeling every refinement of all that is sublime and beautiful as they used to say at one time it would as though of design happen to me not only to feel but to do such ugly things such that well in short actions that all perhaps commit but which as though purposely occurred to me at the very time when i was most conscious that they ought not to be committed the more conscious i was of goodness and of all that was sublime and beautiful the more deeply i sank into my mire and the more ready i was to sink in it altogether but the chief point was that all this was as it were not accidental in me but as though it were bound to be so it was as though it were my most normal condition and not in the least disease or depravity so that at last all desire in me to struggle against this depravity passed it ended by my almost believing perhaps actually believing that this was perhaps my normal condition 
but at first in the beginning what agonies i endured in that struggle i did not believe it was the same with other people and all my life i hid this fact about myself as a secret i was ashamed even now perhaps i am ashamed i got to the point of feeling a sort of secret abnormal despicable enjoyment in returning home to my corner on some disgusting petersburg night acutely conscious that that day i had committed a loathsome action again that what was done could never be undone and secretly inwardly gnawing gnawing at myself for it tearing and consuming myself till at last the bitterness turned into a sort of shameful accursed sweetness and at last into positive real enjoyment yes into enjoyment into enjoyment i insist upon that i have spoken of this because i keep wanting to know for a fact whether other people feel such enjoyment i will explain the enjoyment was just from the too intense consciousness of one's own degradation it was from feeling oneself that one had reached the last barrier that it was horrible but that it could not be otherwise that there was no escape for you that you never could become a different man that even if time and faith were still left you to change into something different you would most likely not wish to change or if you did wish to even then you would do nothing because perhaps in reality there was nothing for you to change into and the worst of it was and the root of it all that it was all in accord with the normal fundamental laws of over-acute consciousness and with the inertia that was the direct result of those laws and that consequently one was not only unable to change but could do absolutely nothing thus it would follow as the result of acute consciousness that one is not to blame in being a scoundrel as though that were any consolation to the scoundrel once he had come to realize that he actually is a scoundrel but enough ech i have talked a lot of nonsense but what have i explained how is enjoyment in this to be explained but i will explain it i will get to the bottom of it that is why i have taken up my pen i for instance have a great deal of amour propre i am as suspicious and prone to take offence as a humpback or a dwarf but upon my word i sometimes have had moments when if i had happened to be slapped in the face i should perhaps have been positively glad of it i say in earnest that i should probably have been able to discover even in that a peculiar sort of enjoyment the enjoyment of course of despair but in despair there are the most intense enjoyments especially when one is very acutely conscious of the hopelessness of one's position and when one is slapped in the face why then the consciousness of being rubbed into a pulp would positively overwhelm one the worst of it is look at it which way you will it still turns out that i was always the most to blame in everything and what is most humiliating of all to blame for no fault of my own but so to say through the laws of nature in the first place to blame because i am cleverer than any of the people surrounding me i have always considered myself cleverer than any of the people surrounding me and sometimes would you believe it have been positively ashamed of it at any rate 
I have all my life, as it were, turned my eyes away and never could look people straight in the face. To blame, finally, because even if I had had magnanimity, I should only have had more suffering from the sense of its uselessness. I should certainly have never been able to do anything from being magnanimous, neither to forgive, for my assailant would perhaps have slapped me from the laws of nature, and one cannot forgive the laws of nature, nor to forget, for even if it were owing to the laws of nature, it is insulting all the same. Finally, even if I had wanted to be anything but magnanimous, had desired on the contrary to revenge myself on my assailant, I could not have revenged myself on anyone for anything, because I should certainly never have made up my mind to do anything, even if I had been able to. Why should I not have made up my mind? About that in particular, I want to say a few words. End of chapter 2「Chapter Three. With people who know how to revenge themselves, and to stand up for themselves in general, how is it done? Why, when they are possessed, let us suppose, by the feeling of revenge, then for the time there is nothing else but that feeling left in their whole being. Such a gentleman simply dashes straight for his object like an infuriated bull with its horns down, and nothing but a wall will stop him. By the way, facing the wall, such gentlemen, that is, the direct persons, and men of action, are genuinely nonplussed. For them, a wall is not an evasion, as for us people who think and consequently do nothing. It is not an excuse for turning aside, an excuse for which we are always very glad, though we scarcely believe in it ourselves, as a rule. No, they are nonplussed in all sincerity. The wall has for them something tranquilizing, morally soothing, final, maybe even something mysterious. But of the wall later. Well, such a direct person I regard as the real normal man, as his tender mother nature wished to see him when she graciously brought him into being on the earth. I envy such a man, till I am green in the face. He is stupid. I am not disputing that. But perhaps the normal man should be stupid. How do you know? Perhaps it is very beautiful, in fact, and I am the more persuaded of that suspicion, if one can call it so, by the fact that if you take, for instance, the antithesis of the normal man, that is, the man of acute consciousness, who has come, of course, not out of the lap of nature, but out of a retort. This is almost mysticism, gentlemen, but I suspect this too. This retort-made man, is sometimes so nonplussed in the presence of his antithesis that with all his exaggerated consciousness he genuinely thinks of himself as a mouse and not a man. It may be an acutely conscious mouse, yet it is a mouse, while the other is a man, and therefore, etc., etc. And the worst of it is, he himself, his very own self, looks on himself as a mouse. No one asks him to do so, and that is an important point. Now let us look at this mouse in action. Let us suppose, for instance, that it feels insulted too, and it almost always does feel insulted, and wants to revenge itself too. There may even be a greater accumulation of spite in it than in L'Homme de la Nature et de la Verité. The base and nasty desire to vent that spite on its assailant 
rankles perhaps even more nastily in it than in l'homme de la nature et de la verite for through his innate stupidity the latter looks upon his revenge as justice pure and simple while in consequence of his acute consciousness the mouse does not believe in the justice of it to come at last to the deed itself to the very act of revenge apart from the one fundamental nastiness the luckless mouse succeeds in creating around it so many other nastinesses in the form of doubts and questions adds to the one question so many unsettled questions that there inevitably works up around it a sort of fatal brew a stinking mess made up of its doubts emotions and of the contempt spat upon it by the direct men of action who stand solemnly about it as judges and arbitrators laughing at it till their healthy sides ache of course the only thing left for it is to dismiss all that with a wave of its paw and with a smile of assumed contempt in which it does not even itself believe creep ignominiously into its mouse-hole there in its nasty stinking underground home our insulted crushed and ridiculed mouse promptly becomes absorbed in cold malignant and above all everlasting spite for forty years together it will remember its injury down to the smallest most ignominious details and every time will add of itself details still more ignominious spitefully teasing and tormenting itself with its own imagination it will itself be ashamed of its imaginings but yet it will recall it all it will go over and over every detail it will invent unheard-of things against itself pretending that those things might happen and will forgive nothing maybe it will begin to revenge itself too but as it were piecemeal in trivial ways from behind the stove incognito without believing either in its own right to vengeance or in the success of its revenge knowing that from all its efforts at revenge it will suffer a hundred times more than he on whom it revenges itself while he i dare say will not even scratch himself on its deathbed it will recall it all over again with interest accumulated over all the years and but it is just in that cold abominable half despair half belief in that conscious burying oneself alive for grief in the underworld of forty years and that acutely recognized and yet partly doubtful hopelessness of one's position in that hell of unsatisfied desires turned inward in that fever of oscillations of resolutions determined forever and repented of again a minute later that the savour of that strange enjoyment of which i have spoken lies it is so subtle so difficult of analysis that persons who are a little limited or even simply persons of strong nerves will not understand a single atom of it possibly you will add on your own account with a grin people will not understand it either who have never received a slap in the face and in that way you will politely hint to me that i too perhaps have had the experience of a slap in the face in my life and so i speak as one who knows i bet that you were thinking that but set your minds at rest gentlemen i have not received a slap in the face though it is absolutely a matter of indifference to me what you may think about it possibly i even regret myself 
that I have given so few slaps in the face during my life. But enough, not another word on that subject of such extreme interest to you. I will continue calmly concerning persons with strong nerves who do not understand a certain refinement of enjoyment. Though in certain circumstances these gentlemen bellow their loudest like bulls, though this, let us suppose, does them the greatest credit. Yet, as I have said already, confronted with the impossible they subside at once. The impossible means the stone wall. What stone wall? Why, of course, the laws of nature, the deductions of natural science, mathematics. As soon as they prove to you, for instance, that you are descended from a monkey, then it is no use scowling, except it for a fact when they prove to you that in reality one drop of your own fat must be dearer to you than a hundred thousand of your fellow-creatures, and that this conclusion is the final solution of all so-called virtues and duties, and all such prejudices and fancies, then you have just to accept it. There is no help for it, for twice two is a law of mathematics. Just try refuting it. Upon my word, they will shout at you. It is no use protesting. It is a case of twice two makes four. Nature does not ask your permission. She has nothing to do with your wishes, and whether you like her laws or dislike them, you are bound to accept her as she is, and consequently all her conclusions. A wall, you see, is a wall, and so on and so on. Merciful heavens, but what do I care for the laws of nature and arithmetic? When for some reason I dislike those laws, and the fact that twice two makes four. Of course, I cannot break through the wall by battering my head against it if I really have not the strength to knock it down. But I am not going to be reconciled to it simply because it is a stone wall and I have not the strength. As though such a stone wall really were a consolation and really did contain some word of conciliation simply because it is as true as twice two makes four. Oh, absurdity of absurdities! How much better it is to understand it all, to recognize it all, all the impossibilities and the stone wall, not to be reconciled to one of those impossibilities and stone walls, if it disgusts you to be reconciled to it. By the way of the most inevitable, logical combinations to reach the most revolting conclusions on the everlasting theme, that even for the stone wall you are yourself somehow to blame though again it is as clear as day you are not to blame in the least, and therefore grinding your teeth in silent impotence to sink into luxurious inertia, brooding on the fact that there is no one even for you to feel vindictive against, that you have not, and perhaps never will have, an object for your spite, that it is a sleight of hand, a bit of juggling, a card-sharper's trick, that it is simply a mess, no knowing what and no knowing who, but in spite of all these uncertainties and jugglings, still there is an ache in you, and the more you do not know, the worse the ache. End of chapter 3